Hello and welcome to the Lancet Podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, November the 14th. This week, injecting drug users and HIV prevalence. I'll be talking to the lead author of a systematic review, highlighting powerful data on the widespread use of injecting drugs worldwide and its association with HIV. But before that, some other content highlights. We set out some key health priorities for President-elect Barack Obama when he comes into office in January next year, both domestically concerning equitable access to healthcare within the United States and in relation to the US's global health policies. And continuing the political theme, we have an editorial critical of the United Kingdom Department of Health policy on top-up care within the National Health Service. The ongoing debate over the safety of the COX-2 inhibitor rofecoxib is discussed in the comment section by Professor Colin Bajant, linked to the final analysis of the APRO-V trial in the research section of the journal this week. And also in research, a study published online a couple of months ago, assessing the efficacy of nasal insulin as a treatment strategy for type 1 diabetes in children. But back to our feature, injecting drug use and HIV infection. Earlier, I spoke to Bradley Mathers from the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, one of the authors of a large systematic review in this week's issue of the journal. And I began by asking him to tell us how research up until the current study has informed our knowledge about injecting drug users and HIV prevalence worldwide. Richard, it's been pretty clear since very early on in the HIV epidemic that injecting drug users in particular are an important risk group, at least in terms of their vulnerability to HIV. And on a global level, there have been estimates previously attempted to to try and um, portray the, the extent of, of the number of injecting drug users around the world. Because of the data available at the time that these estimates were made, they were largely um, had to be based upon best guess estimates from a large number of countries, which obviously had um, implications for the reliability of those global estimates. With these more recent estimates that were produced, we were able to make use of a lot, a lot of um, more recent information and we've taken a somewhat different approach as well to um, the way in which we treated the data that we had and how we came up with global and regional estimates. With these new estimates, they do represent a summary of the best available data at hand. But what is very, very clear is that the data on a global level still need to be improved significantly. Just to give you an idea, we were able to get um, prevalence estimates for of injecting drug use for about 61 countries around the world, but we know that in further 87 countries, injecting drug use is certainly occurring, but there aren't any um, estimates on the extent of injecting drug use in those countries. So there's still a, a very big knowledge gap considering how critical injecting drug use is in terms of HIV and in terms of being a, a really important public health issue. And I'm interested to see in the paper that there is this reference group to the United Nations for injecting drug use and HIV. Can you explain what that body is, what that mechanism is there and how it was involved in the current systematic review? The reference group was established first in, in 2002 and the purpose of the group is to provide expert advice on injecting drug use and HIV to UN agencies that look at the issue. Those UN agencies are the UN Office on Drugs and Crime, UNAIDS and the World Health Organization in particular. The group itself is made up of a number of experts from around the world who all participated in the production of these recent estimates. So the group of experts helped us access and gather relevant information on the issue and also guided our approach to how we analyze the available data and how we generated the estimates. Indeed and notwithstanding 
the point you've already made about how we still don't have data from you know significant numbers of countries in terms of this actual systematic review what has it told us before we talk about hiv what's it what has it told us about, if you like, the epidemiology of injecting drug use across the world? Well, what is very clear is that injecting is, is now a very common occurrence right across the globe. And in countries where it isn't already quite well established, it appears to be an emerging phenomenon. We estimated that approximately there are 16 million people around the world who inject drugs. And as I mentioned before, there are limitations on the accuracy of the available data. So we put a, a possible range around that of between 11 and 21 million injectors. On the regional level, uh, the prevalence of injecting drug use appears to be highest in Eastern Europe and also North, Ameri North America and Australasia, but it's also fairly significant in um, Latin America and Central Asia. In terms of the actual number of injecting drug users, nearly 40% of all the injectors around the world live in China, the Russia or the US. And in terms of the relationship between injectors and HIV, as you said, you know, this phenomenon has been known for a long time. What's the picture here? You've come down with a, a figure here, a, a, very much an estimate of 3 million people who are injecting drug users who have HIV. So that's 3 million out of a population you're saying of around 15 million drug users, one in five. Just comment on that figure and also the point about the ratio, if you like, between the, the population of injectors and the HIV prevalence in there because it's not always a, a straightforward ratio there is it there are some differences. What is very clear is that across the world injectors have far higher rates of HIV compared to the general population and then that, that that is well established already. In terms of the relationship between the prevalence of injecting drug use in a country and the prevalence of HIV among um, that group of injectors. Like you said, the, the relationship isn't, isn't direct. In quite a few countries where there are similar levels of injecting drug use, some countries have managed to keep HIV quite low amongst injecting drug users, but in other countries, higher levels of HIV have resulted. And what are the explanations for those differences? We understand the reason some countries have been successful in reducing the incidence of HIV among injectors is because they were able to introduce interventions that are effective in preventing HIV transmission. Interventions like needle and syringe programs, opioid substitution treatments such as, such as methadone for people who inject heroin and other opioids. It's clear that the greater availability of such programs and the earlier they are rolled out, um, the better the results in terms of HIV prevention. So for example, comparing say the United States and Australia who have approximately similar levels of injecting drug use, somewhere in the region of 1% um, for both those countries. But in the case of Australia, HIV prevention strategies such as needle and syringe programs were introduced very early on in the epidemic and HIV prevalence has remained low at less than 2% among injectors compared to the US where the implementation of interventions such as these occurred a lot later and um, are less widespread but the HIV prevalence among injectors is much higher at 15% there. And just going back to the phenomenon in Eastern Europe and, and China, you've mentioned Eastern Europe in particular, particular. Can you just comment on the Ukraine? It's a really high figure there, isn't there? The prevalence of HIV in the Ukraine, yes, yeah. it, it, is, it is significantly high. And I know that currently in the Ukraine they're actually taking a fairly vigorous or a far more vigorous approach to addressing HIV in the population. But I think among a lot of a lot of countries, especially countries in the form, from the former Soviet Union, there are quite high levels of, of HIV, and it, it really is becoming a really a real pressing issue to address that now. And the other, I suppose, gap, if you like, from this new picture that you're you're painting in, in this systematic review, is the absence of data from Africa, particularly sub-Saharan Africa. 
Do, do we have any idea what that might be masking? Potentially, yes. Several countries in South Africa, um, for example, South Africa and, and Kenya, injecting drug use is fairly well documented there. It isn't just limited those, to those countries, and we found reports of it occurring in at least as many as 13 other countries in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, obviously, a precondition for injecting, injecting drug use is the availability of drugs. And there's evidence that um, Africa is increasingly being used as a trafficking route for transporting drugs, including cocaine and heroin, into Europe. And a common consequence of this sort of movement of drugs is that drug use begins to develop along these drug trade routes. So there's good reason to watch for increasing drug use in the region, especially given the prevalence of HIV in the general population being so high in so many countries in sub-Saharan Africa. So um, introducing another very effective means of transmission of HIV is obviously um, cause for concern. And finally, what are the policy implications? I mean, they must be vast. We've now got you know, as, as up-to-date as we can now, a, a picture of the global uh, perspective in relation to injectors and to associations with HIV prevalence. What needs to happen? Does action need to happen at a global level, a regional level, a country level? And who who needs to be taking a lead here? Well, I think that, like, firstly, on a global level at least, injecting drug use really does need to stay on the radar. I mean, it's clear that um, it's happening right across the globe. Um, as I mentioned seems to be emerging in places where maybe it hasn't been recognised as occurring previously. And this obviously has major implications for HIV prevention. So attention really needs to be given and resources do need to be mobilised to ensure that the effective HIV prevention strategies are in place. So these are strategies such as needle and syringe programmes, effective drug treatment, so that countries um, really need to assess whether or not their current response is adequate and whether or not they need to scale up what they're doing in order to effectively prevent HIV transmission among injectors. It's also imperative that HIV is prevented amongst these populations of injectors because the risk of spread to the general population via sexual transmission is critical and so the entire population is certainly at risk. As you mentioned, with as many as 3 million people um, who are injecting drugs may be, living, may be HIV positive. These, this very large number of people do require HIV care and treatment and by and large um, across the world people who are injectors generally have poorer rates of access to antiretrovirals and, and to health services in general. So countries really need to be sure that the right to the highest attainable level of health care is, is enjoyed by everyone including drug users. So in other words avoiding or preventing some stigma that goes on within this population? Absolutely. I mean this is a really marginalised group. Um, and addressing those issues around stigma and discrimination are quite hard and often there are other social um, factors um, which feed into that. But it, it, it really does highlight the, the vulnerability of people who inject drugs and the, the need to really address HIV prevention among them. I guess one other really salient finding in terms of a policy perspective is that a response to HIV prevention really does need to um, address also the gaps in data that are there currently. So efforts do need to be made to improve the, the way that data is collected about this group so we can have a really a, a much better idea of where injecting drug use is occurring so the response can be more appropriate and better targeted and then so that the significant resources that are that are required to address the issue are actually directed appropriately where they're most needed. Dr Mathers on the line from the University of New South Wales in Australia. Thanks very much indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much, Richard. It's been a pleasure. Dr Bradley Mathers concluding this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.